Hi, I'm Josh Block, host of Uncover Escaping Nexium from CBC Podcasts. I pull back the curtain on the secretive self-help group that experts call a cult and follow one woman's harrowing journey to get out. The podcast was featured in Rolling Stone magazine and named one of the best podcasts of 2018 in The Atlantic. Listen to Uncover Escaping Nexium on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. After the surgery, Morel realized her ordeal had only just begun. There was Ralph, her husband. How would he react? In her nightgown, she felt lopsided. She couldn't bring herself to look. Not yet. For a long time, she would hide from herself while changing clothes or taking a bath. It would take a lot for her to gather up her courage for that first look. That's Adrian Clarkson in a searing episode of The Fifth Estate simply called Four Women. Before she was an award-winning author, before she was named Governor General, Adrian Clarkson was an acclaimed TV journalist. Four Women won an International Emmy for its intimate and frank portrayal of what it was like to deal with breast cancer in 1978. And it is just one of many reasons that Adrian Clarkson was inducted this year into the CBC News Hall of Fame. The right honorable Adrian Clarkson is with me in studio. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. It's great to see you. It's wonderful to always to be with you. We had a, a lovely little ceremony here in the CBC Broadcasting Center last week, looking back on some of the great TV that you made over the course of your career. What was it like to see your career, or parts of it, kind of fly by on the screen in front of you? <laughs> well, it was very interesting because I was very grateful for all the hairdressers. <laughs> one of the critics, one of the TV critics, and they were all male chauvinist pigs in those times, said, you know, she's getting by on her ch- on her cheekbones and her hair. And um, <laughs> I, I really always resented that because I don't think it was true. But when I looked at the, the retrospective, I thought, well, there was a lot of hair. <laughs> it was a great honor to 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 be inducted into the CBC News Hall of Fame, I imagine. Yes, it was, because, you know, there are wonderful people in it, like Nolton Nash and um, Trina McQueen. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me, that is what it means. We are in a profession here. Uh, we are in a profession which is very important, that of people who uh, see things and then are able to communicate what they see in the best way they can, whether it's by interviewing, whether it's by witnessing, whether it's by showing. And that's what we are. It's a human being among other human beings who who witnesses and then who can tell the story. But broadcasting uh, television for me was just the door that opened the world to me. And then by the fact that the world was open to me, I felt I could open the world to other people. Mm. And you know this. It's not everybody that can do an interview. It's not everybody who listens And it doesn't matter whether it's to reveal somebody wonderful or it's to look at a criminal or it's to try and elicit, as I did, with these suffering women who had breast cancer. And in those days, really, there was very little alternative to a total mastectomy and and all of that. And in the silence around those problems, all of that you have to take into consideration and say, this is a human being in front of me and the human being is just like me. One of the things that has always stayed with me is Terence. Um, I took that in grade 12. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know people take Latin anymore. But he, he says, I am human. Nothing human is alien to me. Yeah. And that is, I think, what an interviewer uses as the basis for what they do. And therefore, you can be thrown into any situation. Can I ask you about the four women 
yeah. piece because we I watched that again just the other day. It's extraordinary. It's it's personal. It's incredibly intimate. It's brilliantly written. And I don't know that something like that. I can't imagine something like that on television now. In some ways, what did that program reveal to you about what television could do and what television could be? Because it seems it seems groundbreaking now, all those years later. Isn't that interesting? I haven't re I haven't re seen it or rewatched it, but I just know that. You felt very much there was a trust there. And you see, I had done programs on breast cancer and mastectomy starting in 1965 and getting letters from women afterwards saying, from Timmins, Ontario, saying, I went into the hospital with a lump. I woke up and all my muscles down to my elbow had been cut away, plus I had no breast anymore. And they didn't know. No, they were not asked. There was no, no permission had been given even. And that's how women were treated and we're talking in the, you know, 60s. And then to do uh, Four Women, which happened in the 70s, late 70s, was there hadn't been that much change. There was still terror around it. Women were not brought into the discussion about it. They were told, either we do this drastic thing or you're going to die or whatever. And there was a lot of the female... Uh, the, the, the putting down of, of women, which is, of course, the whole of my career has been since since women's liberation movement started in about 68, 69, has been pushed by that and by that awareness. So the question of breast cancer, mastectomy, disfigurement of women is very much a part of that. Did you know when you went into this that you would end the episode by talking about yourself? Not really. No. I mean, that is one of the most powerful parts of it as well. Yeah. You tell the story of these four women, but then we see Adrian Clarkson, the journalist, the broadcaster, talk about your own experience in discovering a lump in your breast, yeah. which wasn't cancerous. Which wasn't cancerous. Thankfully. But, but, it, but there is a, all of a sudden, it seems like it changes in some ways. And you said you didn't really know going No, into I didn't really know. It's, it, and that's the other thing, too. In any kind of wonderful career, which you are having, quite frankly, um, there are always surprises in it. Mm. There are always surprises, and it's not predictable. You don't know. There are always surprises in your career. And in any, any good career, uh, the surprises are ones that you learn from and that you learn a lot about yourself from. And that's really very important. Uh, much as interviews reveal the person you're interviewing, they also, over a length of time, reveal yourself to yourself mm. and what you're capable of asking and doing. Let me talk about asking direct questions. You interviewed the Shah of Iran for the Fifth Estate. This is in 1975. This is four years before the revolution, but there was already a movement of dissent being crushed in Iran. Here's a little bit of your interview with the Shah. Does torture happen in Iran? Well, this is a question that was put to me more than once and which I don't like at all because it's so ridiculous that I don't have to answer that. But for the sake of uh, this interview, I will say that we don't have to torture people. This is the way that uh, unsophisticated uh, organizations were doing things. We are as sophisticated as you are now. Sophisticated in methods of interrogation. Yes. Adrian Clarkson, did you know that you were going to ask the Shah of Iran point blank 
about torture? Not really. No. You had to run with it. You couldn't tell. I knew he was a very sophisticated man. And um, when you see him on television, he was not well then. Mm. He, had, he had cancer already. He was a very strange kind of gray color. And he sweated a lot. But he was also somebody who, went, if you were in Iran and you were to ask those questions, I mean, you'd never be heard from again. No, to ask him that question is a very direct moment. Absolutely. So the only way to do it was to ask the direct question. Mm. And then to see his reaction was to get the answer. The, the way in which he answered, the, uh, the arrogance of it, the, 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 the very quiet, like velvet arrogance of it. We don't have to torture people, you know, that kind of thing. And that's the kind of response that if you get that, that's the most revealing moment that you could possibly, you don't have to do anything else. You don't then have to pursue him and say, tell me, tell me, do you torture? You don't have to do that. Although you did ask the question a few different times. That's and, right. and one of the things you said in your remarks when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame was you ask a question and if somebody doesn't give you the answer, you have the right in some ways to ask the question again. <laughs> yes. And that sometimes things will be revealed two or three times in. Yeah, if you if you have, and you have to have, it takes guts to do it. You know it. Uh, you've done it. It takes guts to ask a question more than once, twice, even three times, mm-hmm. in different ways, so that the person gets the whole parameter, and in the end, you get an answer. You want to get at some kind of truth, and some kind of truth as they see it, mm-hmm. too. That'll be just as revealing as whether they answer the question. Sometimes it's about just getting the interview, which can happen in very hairy situations. What yes. happened to you in Peshawar, Pakistan? Oh, well, <laughs> That's we, a big sigh oh, before God. you answer the yes. question. <laughs> well, as Kelly Crichton, who was one of the, the speakers at my induction, said, we went off, you know, gung-ho to Pakistan. We were the flagship show of Fifth Estate. We never went anywhere without knowing we were going to get the interview. We had everything set up. So we were going off to Pakistan to interview Zia al-Haq, their dictator. So we get there, and then we call the numbers that we have, and they say, never heard of you, you know, go away. And we just were flabbergasted. And so five of us had come to Pakistan, and we didn't have the, we were being told, you know, we didn't have the interview. So we went we spent a couple of days trying to see what was wrong. The embassy was trying to help, and they said, you know, they won't do anything. So then we had to say, okay, can we do other stories? So we heard about there was something happening in the north. There were people coming from Afghanistan into Peshawar in the north. So we tear up to Peshawar. We get there very late, and in the morning, Kelly knocks on my door, and she said, the Soviets have invaded Afghanistan. We're going to the border because people are going to be coming through the Khyber Pass. So there we were, and that was our, you know, really quite wonderful. We were able to interview people who were coming, talk to people right on the ground, and our senior producer, Robin Taylor, was able to go into the morning meeting at News and Current Affairs, and they were saying, Soviets have invaded Afghanistan, and he said, you know, Kelly and Adrian are there on the border. So that was, that was a great coup for us and very exciting that we were able to do that. But we knew just talking to those people in 1979 that Afghanistan, nobody has ever been able to do anything about Afghanistan. Nobody has ever been able to win in Afghanistan. There's not a single, there was not until the Soviets went there in 1979, there wasn't a single piece of railroad in Afghanistan, the only country in the world where there was no railroad. And so, you know, we knew right from then that Afghanistan was going to be a, a pretty big pit. 
and um, and that's what it turned out to be. She said you were able to talk your way out of being held at gunpoint. Oh, yes. Well, we do that a lot. I didn't even remember that. We <laughs> I did. love how casual you are about that. <laughs> no, we don't. We, you know, in, in Guatemala, I was with Judy Jackson, and it was a terrible time. of it. And we decided we couldn't get anything in Guatemala City, so we took the crew off to Antigua, Guatemala, where we thought we might have better luck and get some stories, etc. And it was absolutely sinister. Of course, there's nobody there, nothing there. And um, in the evening... We decided, well, we've, you know, we've interviewed some renegade priests and we've interviewed some other people. Can we put together a story? So we thought, let's go and have a sauna. So Judy and I go down to have a sauna. We're talking away in the sauna. And suddenly I said, you know, if somebody wanted to get rid of us, all they'd have to do is lock this door and boil us. And, and she said, you're right. So we got quickly got dressed, <laughs> went back to our rooms because, you know, it was... It, it was dangerous uh, doing things like that, but also it was exciting. And important. And it was important. And to tell the well, stories. Who, to tell the story. We brought a good story out of there. Mm. And I think what, what we really realize is that when you are a journalist and you're apart from things and you have to be detached, that doesn't mean that you don't care. That doesn't mean that you your heart isn't broken. That doesn't mean that uh, you don't cry uh, into your pillow. But you mustn't show that way. Mm. You have to do the best you can while absorbing all those feelings and then putting the best humane face on it for the job that you're doing. The past is shrouded in mystery. To understand it, you have to get up close. Something happened to our collective psyche after the atom bomb. On NPR's throughline. We reopen stories from the past to find clues to the present. Find Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things you also love, I mean, you could tell those stories from faraway places. You love telling stories of, of Canadians and artists in particular who tell our own stories. And I think of the interviews that you've done with Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen, obviously, Thompson Highway and others. There's a balance, right? There's, there's the, the, the Fifth Estate, very serious, Shah of Iran, and then those other interviews. What did you see as, as, as the importance of those interviews? Well, the arts and culture was very important, and I was extremely grateful to Yvonne Fitzsand for saying, will you start this program again? We haven't had one for 25 years on the network, and giving me carte blanche to do that. This is Adrian Clarkson this Presents. This is Adrian Clarkson Presents, it, because a country is nothing without its culture. The people who are going to make us last forever are our painters and musicians and our writers, all the people who really see things and then can interpret them to us in the magical way that creativity brings to us. And so we were able to have, you know, for instance, Frank Gehry. The great architect. The great architect who was born in Toronto. We were able to follow him while he built his wonderful project in Spain. We were able to take the time so that, you know, over we knew we were going to be on for more than one year, so you could take time. And we took over a period of three years. Then um, when Bilbao opened in Spain, we were there at the opening mm. for it after we had seen what that city looked like when he first went to it. And you saw that as a Canadian story, telling Canadian stories yes, about because, back because, to Canada. Yeah, because Gary had never done anything in Canada and he was originally a Canadian. He loved playing hockey. We filmed him playing hockey. We filmed him talking to architecture students at McGill at Charette's and he, and he really was a, a wonderful Canadian. What did you learn about the country 
in telling those sorts of stories and meeting those sorts of people? Well, what I feel about the country is that it's so much more interesting and better and more attuned to things than it realizes it is. Mm. I think we constantly underplay ourselves. Well, we're looking to the United States or Europe or, we, or whatever. Unfortunately, we live next to that behemoth next to us who has really nothing to do with us or our traditions or anything to do. It has nothing to do with our political traditions. And luckily, we have this country, which we are very fortunate to have founded. Yes, we were a colony, and we suffered a lot through colonization and, and being belittled because of that. But we do have our political roots in parliamentary democracy and the Magna Carta going back to the 13th century. And that has stood us in very good stead. Uh, we have a system which is more common in the world, but we are so close to the United States, which is totally different. And we don't understand the difference. And then we are bombarded with their culture their literature, everything. And is your sense that we need to be reminded in some ways of, of what of the good things that are being created here in the Always. face of in the face of who we live nearby? Always. And I think that's something that I realized when I became Governor General that that was a message that one could carry to people and that they were very willing to listen to that. And I think it was because as Governor General you're the constitutional you know, you the buck stops there because it's a constitutional monarchy, but you do not have that political day-to-day -day power mm. which the Prime Minister has. And I think it's very important. I, I saw it always as a continual thread of my understanding of our country. Let me ask you about this place, just finally. I mean, you spoke with great affection in, in the speech that you gave about the CBC. When you take a look at the CBC now, how well does it, how well do we live up to the ideals that you were hoping to achieve when you started working here in 1965? Well, I think that uh, there isn't a cultural program, and I think there should be. There's so much wonderful culture being developed across the country, and in a country as large as ours and as diverse as ours, we have to understand and, and look at all the aspects of that culture. It's democratic in a country like Canada to show the arts and to show culture because people sometimes do not have access to it. I'll never forget Evelyn Hart telling me that the reason she had become a ballerina was that she was this little girl in Saskatchewan. She watched on television Veronica Tennant dancing Romeo and Juliet, and she thought, what is that? What are they doing? Could I do that? And she did that, and she became Evelyn Hart. And, you know, on television, you get to see things. It's this bond that, that you, you can get apart from your parents, apart from your social group, etc. And it has an obligation to give you everything that is part of Canada. So there are calls to defund the CBC. How, how should the CBC navigate the, the, the moment that we're in right now, do you think? Well, I don't, you know, I've never taken part in being part of the governance of the CBC, but what I feel is that it's still a very, very important institution. You feel that the country needs it still? And the country does still need it, yes, very much so. It needed it in the 30s when the government who stepped in and said, yes, we're going to have a broadcasting network because the private stations didn't want to do it. Because the argument now is there are a million things that you can watch, whether it's on television, that you could listen to on your phone that, yes, that come but I from think, all over the world. You know, the CBC's mandate to inform, lighten and entertain, I think, is not just a little cliche. It is, it is something that we took to heart and that all of us who've worked at the CBC and had interesting careers here and been able to do the, the good things that people want to listen to and watch take to heart. And I think it's still important and it, it's just a matter of making it work for us.
and for for both parts, English speaking and French speaking Canada, and they've been very they're very different. Mm. One of the things I will have to say is that I always secretly sort of was sad that they never asked me to do anything on on Radio Canada, and I'm completely bilingual. I did some work for the commercial network in Quebec, but they actually never asked me for Radio Canada to do it. And they, we asked people from Radio Canada. We had René Levesque, for heaven's sake. We had all kinds of people who'd come from their network. But I do think... You were also never asked to do radio, is that right? They never asked me to do radio. You grew up on the listening to the radio, and you were never uh, asked to work for CBC Radio. I I know. Nobody ever asked me, is there something wrong with my voice, do you think, Matt? Uh, Our oversight. (laughs) I apologize on behalf. No, here you are now, so we're glad you're here. (laughs) I would have loved to have done radio. It influenced me Mm -hmm. enormously. I was given a Bakelite radio for my ninth birthday, and I used to listen into the night. My parents never said anything about it, and I listened to all those voices giving the stories and doing CBC's stage, and I listened to to the the soap operas when I came home from school. I loved CBC radio, I loved CBC television, and I was here at a golden time. You said in your speech that you owe, in many ways, much of what you did in your later years to what you learned at the CBC about this country. And I just wonder, finally, how you think about the country right now. It feels like parts of it are breaking apart. There are people who say that the country is broken. How do you, how do you feel about Canada, given well, not just what you did at the CBC, but, but what you did in years following? I feel about the CBC the way I've always felt about it, which is that it still has the opportunity because of all the hardware, basically, and all the, the network it has, that it has the opportunity still to link the country. And I know that there are enormous problems and uh, certainly see them. You know, there, a lot has to be looked at in terms of can we make ourselves deserve a public broadcasting system? Mm. And I use those words very carefully. Do we understand how we mix then the commercial, which, you know, certainly by the time I got there was already there, but we didn't, we never had it in our um, current affairs broadcasting. Our mission was to inform, enlighten, entertain, and we all took that extremely seriously. And the country broadly, are you optimistic about who we are as a, as a nation? I'm optimistic when I see people like my, my, I have a granddaughter who's you know, 21, and she's so enthusiastic and interesting. She has so many more opportunities. Right now, she's able to to help and work with a film company because she's interested in the entertainment industry. Well, that didn't exist when I was coming out. I mean, I didn't know what I was, I was doing, a PhD, because I could read, basically. <laughs> and, and so now I think there's these opportunities for young people that are that are great and that I hope that we, they'll be able to seize them. But there's so many opportunities, they're so diverse, that often there's confusion, and that, that's what I worry about. You've had an extraordinary career. Um, it's always great to talk to you about where it is. I don't know what you'll do next. There's more to come. <laughs> oh, uh, there is. A little book, perhaps, and then more? Yes, I have. I'm working on a, on a book which is actually you inspired in many ways. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yes, you inspired it because when you interview somebody, when they are thinking about answering, they say, um, now that's a very good question, okay? <laughs> How often has that been? Often. <laughs> that's a, now that's a very good question. So I was going to call the little book, now that's a very good question. But then I decided I wasn't because then it would only be questions and answers. So the little book is going to be some things I've been meaning to tell you. And there's sort of things I haven't talked about before. And then maybe I can podcast after that. Who knows? If I'm never going to go on radio, maybe I can go on podcast. The future awaits. We look forward to whatever it is that you're going to tell us, that you have to tell us in this book. In the meantime, Adrian Clarkson, thank you. 
Thank you so much, Matt. Keep it up. The right honorable Adrian Clarkson is this year's inductee into the CBC News Hall of Fame. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.